Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Backstage Banter. We have a very special guest today. Sean and I don't feel like we're qualified to interview no. this person. Oh. Um, she's she's way too legit for our professional mess yes. that we have here. We have the wonderful Alicia Grafmack. Uh, with us today who is the current director dean and director of the dance division of juilliard but you have um done everything you've done alvin ailey you've done dancer of harlot like please tell us about your incredible career and welcome to the podcast oh thank you so much for having me it's nice to to be here um i always say that the way my life has unfolded there was no way to predict it uh, looking forward, it actually did look like a mess, trying to figure out how to take uh, each step one by one uh, along this journey. But now looking back, I can see how all the dots have been connected. So um, I'm sure like you, um, you all, uh, you know, I just fell in love with dancing at a very young age. Um, I, you know, I always say that I was made to move. I was born just dancing and my parents recognized that definitely my mother recognized that I had this love for moving and she is a sociology professor, um, but she had a, a modeling school in the evenings. This was like her passion project. She, she modeled throughout her whole life and still does. Uh, and so when she was teaching the students like how to pose and how to sit and how to do the things. Here I was as a two-year-old in diapers, like voguing in, in a chair, basically. And um, she had the, you know, wherewithal to put me into dance. And I just fell in love. From the time I knew what ballet was, that's what I wanted to do with my life. And, that's uh, Yeah, I'm from Columbia, Maryland. And I spent, you know, my summers in various summer programs uh, at SAB and ABT, and I did a, a few international competitions. There was no YAGP at the time. I'm <laughs> aging uh, myself. Yeah. Um, and at 17, I landed with Dance Theater of Harlem. Uh, I was so blessed. I worked uh, under Arthur Mitchell's direction. He became a mentor, a father figure to me. Um, and I did incredible rep. At that time, there were many Balanchine works in the rep. And we had an incredible Firebird. And we had Dougla that was choreographed by Jeffrey Holder. And all new works as well and touring. Um, I'm going to like fast forward because there's a lot of detail in there. But basically, I had an injury. I found out I have an autoimmune disease. And I thought my time was done dancing by the time I was 21. Um, and I ended up going to Columbia University. Uh, I was studying history because I had no idea what I would be good at. You know, my whole life I defined myself as a dancer, and now here I was not dancing, trying to figure out what the heck I was good at um, and what kind of um, piqued my interest and passions. And I knew that I was an avid reader and I enjoyed writing and I figured I wouldn't flunk out of school if I <laughs> uh, majored in history. Um, and during that time, I was trying to figure out how to support myself. I ended up uh, working as an intern with JP Morgan and in their corporate marketing division. And within that division, they did a lot of sponsorships and uh, philanthropy uh, for arts organizations and arts education organizations. And I knew that I wanted to work sort of within that realm. So with the art still, um, but with new information and new tools. Another point to add is while I was at Columbia, I really didn't dance. I was recovering from injury. I was figuring out new medication, just figuring out my body. And I met a few dancers on campus who were praise dancers. And I had no idea what that was. And I realized that my whole life, even with companies that were not seen as praise dance companies, you know, doing Serenade, uh, Valentine's Serenade with Dance Seat of Harlem, um, I realized that I was praise dancing. I was thanking God for the gifts that I had been given in this, this incredible life. And so through that social club, really, uh, I fell in love with dancing again. And I, I made my way when I graduated back to um, First Complexions Contemporary uh, Ballet for a very short period of time. And then I went back to Dance Theater of Harlem. 
uh, and the company was doing so well. I came back, eventually I was promoted to principal, and then the company folded because of financial reasons. And that brought my whole business mind administration um, mindset back into full view. I freelanced for a year doing some commercial work, filling in for dancers with Alonzo King's lines when there was injuries and working with complexions again. And then I ended up at Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. It was quite a full and amazing dance career that I've had. I danced for Ailey for six years. I'd received also my master's degree in nonprofit management. Now you can kind of understand why that was an interest to me. Uh, and I started teaching in a small school called COCA. It's based in St. Louis, Missouri. That's where I was getting my master's degree at um, Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, and I had no dream of becoming a teacher. Um, but I started teaching uh, young kids, like middle school and high school age kids in St. Louis, and then I fell in love with them, and I fell in love with teaching. And eventually when I received my master's, I started working at Webster University as a visiting assistant professor, and I realized that this was the perfect combination of all the things that I had learned about myself, that I have to keep dance in my life, that I love working with young people, I love the idea of uh, passing all the information that I've received, passing on the, you know, passing along the torch, if you will. And I loved being in higher education. This idea that um, being on campus and being immersed in a certain energy and youthfulness, I just love. And a couple of years into my time, I eventually then applied for this job here at the Juilliard School, which brought me back to New York. Yeah, that's the whole trajectory that's, in a nutshell. <laughs> that's amazing. For There are like so many questions that popped in my head as you were saying <laughs> yeah. this. But I think one of the things that Sean and I have talked about a lot on here, just to start off with, is there's now there's so many ways to have a career. I think yes. you you did dance and then you got your degree and then you came back to dance and you know and now it's kind of all blended. I think especially in when we were younger, it was either you were in a ballet company or you went to college and you could not do both. Right. And that's it. And so I love this because you did both and now it completely all formed together hmm. in this incredible position you have now. So I just, I love that. First uh, of all, It's true. I mean, we're, uh, well, I am of a different generation than this current um, generation of young dancers where it, it was true. There were so few uh, universities, conservatories that would get you um, to the place where you were ready to have a career in ballet. And so I knew that uh, if I hadn't landed in a ballet company coming out of high school, that I would then make the decision to go to college and maybe study something different. Um, now, there are so many options for dancers to go into ballet, to go into modern dance, commercial dance, Broadway. There are so many incredible schools out there um, that will... Uh, allow dancers to see that path forward. But when I was younger, I, def I definitely didn't see that as an option for me either. I was going to say, it's nice because we brought up the different generations, which I'll fully admit I'm old here. Um, and so my generation, to see now that, like you said, there are many options to go to school and to have that training that would get to that level, I still feel there is a wall up though with the generation above us that are in power in artistic directorships and stuff that aren't looking to those people with the same eye, even if their qualifications are equal hmm. to someone who's coming directly from a company or has been a company. Um, but like our generation, I feel the, that are now stepping up into these authoritative figures mm -hmm. are going to change that aspect. So because now we have both sides of it, we can have, the options to go train and go to school and not give up education and still come out on this high level. Mm -hmm. We also are now willing to look at someone from Butler, IU or something just as equally as I would someone who was an apprentice somewhere else for a couple of years in the company. But I do think there still is that, that weird wall that's still up there of that traditional old mm -hmm. archetype. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, you spoke to so many things just in that statement. Uh, the, the thing that I am most aware of and excited about is with every generation, there is a leadership shift and change. And um, there are common ways of thinking and seeing the world. I think uh, I'm grateful to be in a position at Juilliard uh, where I see that there is a path for the students and it's all about uh, shaping the curriculum, making sure that they're getting the same rigor um, and excellent repertory to be in practice with so that when they graduate, they're ready. When they go to an audition, whether that's for a ballet company or a modern company, contemporary company, that uh, they are uh, showing themselves at the highest level. Um, and I, I do think that they are able to receive that kind of information just as an apprentice would or a trainee would. Absolutely. I think, <clears throat> sorry, as I choke, I think a lot, staying on, on this topic for a second, because I do want to jump back to your early career, but what is your typical, not day like as the dean of, of dance, the d dean of dance department, but what is what are the daily aspects of your job? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love to know like what it entails. Because uh, yeah. the dance, that sounds like that's a big job. <laughs> that's a big job. So what I are mean, you? You have the word dean. Yeah, that's, that's a big job. <laughs> it is a big job, like, and I, it's it's interesting because I I um, I try to build relationship with my students, and so I don't demand that people call me like Dean Mac. Um, cause that just sounds strange to me yeah. <laughs> personally. Oh, that'd be my uh, day one. Hello, I'm, I'm Dean Rollison, just so everyone knows. <laughs> like, yes. No, I'm but kidding. I, I, yeah. I think that, um, the nature of our relationship, uh, with my students does still command, uh, respect that goes both ways. But my day to day is, is quite busy. Uh, I am a mother of two small kids, so I start at like 5.30 in the morning and oh because I'm not dancing like I was and I'm just trying to maintain my sanity, I am on that Peloton, you know, sweating it out, um, stretching, doing all the things because I know probably for the rest of my day I will not be in the type of motion that I'm used to. Um, I, you know, make the lunches and do all the stuff, do all the mom stuff, all the crazy. I uh, lean on my husband very much and he helps uh, them get to school and drop me off at the train. I live in New Jersey. Uh, wow. I take the train in and then I'm usually here by nine o'clock for meetings. And so the, the role of Dean and director is very interesting because as a Dean, I am, uh, responsible for making sure that the students are, um, meeting the standards of the, their classes and of the curriculum to earn their degree. We are an accredited university, so um, the grades matter. Their grades matter. What they learn matters, and we have to justify all of it. Um, and if a student is falling behind or needs extra support, I'm the person that they speak with uh, first, and sometimes those conversations are wonderful, and sometimes they're challenging and difficult, like if a person is not um, meeting the criteria or the standard. So I help to shape the curriculum, which is, of course, the classes that they take, the, the styles that they study, the various techniques that they study. And also at Juilliard, um, they have a full course requirement load of liberal arts classes as well. Now, as the director, uh, I look after everything from curating performances, um, hiring the choreographers uh, to come and do new works, or if we are um, commissioning existing pieces of rep. Like right now, we are working on our spring dances. Um, this is kind of a plug right now. We'll be performing spring dances in March. Plug away. Um, <laughs> yes, you can go to juilliard.edu to find out all the information for our spring dances. We're performing Justin Peck's Increases this year. We are performing. Love that ballet. Yes. Um, Mehdi Walerski's Blink of an Eye, that was originally choreographed on NDT. Uh, we are performing Hofesh Schechter's Political Mother and Camille A. Brown's City of Rain. So it's a very, uh, it's a 
it's a program that showcases the wide range of abilities of our dancers. And that is definitely something that is intentional. Um, so as I curate, I'm trying to think of ways to define um, Juilliard dance and to stretch and challenge our dancers. And then everything from even marketing and choosing the photos that we use on social media or helping to approve those photos or um, thinking about how we audition and who we will accept, um, you know, be excited to accept into the program and what, what exactly are we, you know, interested uh, in developing or kind of uh, inspiring here at Juilliard. Um, what types of dancers are we trying to um, help to educate and inform? Um, all of those things I am responsible for. And sometimes I teach too. I, I, I teach a course, actually, um, senior seminar, and that class is for the fourth year students. They develop their uh, their resumes, their headshots. We put together performance reels and help them to prepare for all the auditions that they will be going through. Um, and then I also, I teach ballet and I teach Horton um, this year kind of as a sub, if someone uh, is not able to make it and I'm here and I don't have a meeting, I'll run in and teach, which I love. Wow. How many students are in the program at Juilliard? Because if, if unless you've been living under a rock, you know, everybody listening knows that this is a very, very prestigious program to get into. So how many st students are there currently? Currently, we have 86 students and we have four years of, of, of dancers between freshman year and senior year. So uh, each year we take somewhere between uh, the new incoming classes around 22 or 24 dancers and usually fairly uh, equal uh, in terms of gender identity. And actually now we are making sure that we're inclusive of all genders. So we haven't been uh, drawing a line between, say, like 12 male-identifying students and 12 female-identifying students, we want 22 or 24 incredible dancers. So within those 80-some students, and you're, that's not a big number. No, it's very small. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, like, because like everyone's going to a dance college is looking at, let's say, four probably tops in total and Four so like that you're, number you're saying yeah like for, uh -huh. I would I would say like because I know like Juilliard IU Butler and um Carolina right yes you and CSA mm -hmm. yeah are like the are, are I think there's a couple other ones now there are like Utah I think has a good strong dance program now and I think somewhere in Texas does mm -hmm. I don't know yeah. that's all news to me because when I was growing <laughs> up there was like two options yeah. <laughs> it was like Juilliard and one random college <laughs> And so 86 is not a lot. And so when you're looking at um, applicants and, and you're going through like the audition process and acceptance process, do you look at, you said like, it was just great. You just look at, you want 24 great applicants, dancers, but do you then think about, oh, what genres are these strengths mm. in of these dancers? And we're trying to make sure we have a more like even number of genres or is it like some years we just have a heavier contemporary or a heavier modern heavier ballet and then mm. it and it, it's kind of more up in the air and that just plays on who applies or are you like looking to fit your department because you're like our curriculum is this we want it to be as wide as possible we want to present this present that it's more of the latter that you just spoke about it's finding 24 dancers i call them uh like the most brilliant hybrid artists or chameleons. Uh, most of our students have a very strong base in ballet already coming in and uh, maybe incredible hip hop dancers or uh, contemporary dancers. They may have never had modern dance before, uh, but the, the way that our curriculum is structured, they spend equal time studying uh, modern and contemporary techniques as they do ballet techniques. So uh, it's really just finding students who are intellectually curious, they're ready for a rigorous program like a Juilliard, because as we've just established um, earlier in the conversation, the four years are designed uh, so that when they do land their first jobs, that they start ready, mature, and 
prepared for the field and not kind of green. The rep that they will be asked to do over their four years will reflect that uh, diversity. So the dancers who are now in Justin Peck's increases in their point shoes or you know uh, engaging in more classical partnering will do something completely different next year in the rep show so we want to expose them to everything so i want to jump back to your dancing career to start because i you and i met i should have said this earlier we met judging Mm yagp and i didn't realize we had such a similar path in that we both had an autoimmune condition and stopped at 21 Like I had no idea of that. I don't know how I missed that or we talked about it and I forgot Mm -hmm. about it. Um, Are you comfortable sharing more about that? Sure. Yeah. When I was very little, maybe around, I don't know, 10 or 11, I had this like bouts of uh, inflammation in my, in my knee and the doctor would just drain it and say, I don't know, she's fine. If she's not in pain, it must just be like growing pains or something like that. So that's what we kind of chalked it up to. Went back into dancing. It didn't even like occur to me that something was up. And then um, before I left Dancy de Parlum for the first time, uh, it started happening again. We were in preparation for the Kennedy uh, season at the Kennedy Center and we were performing like uh, 40s and let's see, Serenade, and there was a, a newer work called South African Suite. Um, it was a very substantial program, and during the rehearsals, my knee would just like kind of blow up, and I would wake up and be like, Oh, I don't have as much mobility because it's stuffed right with fluid. So I would go to the doctor, and the doctor would drain the knee and you know, sent the uh, fluid in for biopsy to figure out like what is wrong and nothing ever came up. So I would just go back to work because I really wasn't in that much pain. But after a couple months, I did develop some pain and realized that I had a small tear in my cartilage. So we thought, well, maybe that's the answer. Although it just didn't seem uh, equal, the amount of swelling to the actual injury, because um, usually a cartilage tear, you swell a little bit, but not like like a balloon, you know, and it took me over a year and a half to two years to find the diagnosis. And that was the hardest thing because you all know, as a dancer, we define everything. Our whole identity uh, is wrapped up in, in being a dancer. How we uh, operate in the world is defined by being a dancer how you eat, how you sleep, how you socialize, all of that. And without dance, I was just like, this is so hard. And I was fighting against myself to get back into you know, the studio. I was trying to do PT. And, and every time I would make a huge physical effort, I, had, I took a step backwards because my body was working against itself. Um, And so I was eventually diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis, which is in the rheumatoid arthritis family. It actually originates in the lower spine, although I didn't have any um, back issues until later in my career. Um, And I had to have two corrective knee surgeries just to fix all the issues that came because of the kneecap and the knee being unstable because of constantly being swollen and like basically living in fluid. And I think it took me stepping completely away from dance, which was a whole mental uh, journey in itself to separate myself and look in a completely new direction and redefine myself. I think it took all of that to then heal my body. And I was away from dance for four years total. Three of those years, I was in school and, you know, starting to move a little bit. But the thing about the praise dance ministry that uh, I loved, this social club, I would say, this, this ministry that I found on campus, it was my social outlet, but also it was gestural, so I didn't have to use my legs as much. Um, <laughs> most of the dancers who were in this uh company or ministry hadn't had um, a lot of formal training. It was just like expressing yourself with, with gospel music, basically. 
And then I realized what I missed so much and why I missed what I do so much. And so like things came back into, into play. But um, even now, I still manage my disease with medication. Um, it's affected my eyes. I've already had two eye surgeries um, to correct inflammation in my eyeballs. Uh, so it's something to constantly be aware of. I've since, uh, the first injury had a back surgery. Um, I've had surgery on my foot, so it's not the disease that you want to have as a dancer. (laughs) You don't want any disease, uh, as a dancer, um, who uses their body, you know, uh, as their livelihood. But, uh, I learned, I learned how to manage and when I couldn't manage, then I would step away and come back when I'm ready. That's healthy to do. I think dancers need to remember that. If you're listening, <laughs> dancers, it's okay to take a break. Um, all three of us have done it. Yeah. All three of us, but I think you stories. have to go through it first. Yes. Yes. And you then it, com- it. it comes, it becomes easier, right? You kind of have to hit like that mental rock bottom burnout for a moment and be like, okay, fully step away. And then you, you can come back and love it in a different way with some new boundaries and new goals set that's right in a healthier way mm-hmm. yeah absolutely I don't know how was it coming back was it was it a hard process for you was it oh gosh I have to do like six months of this or did it just kind of <laughs> happen naturally it came back so organically because in my senior year at Columbia I was performing basically uh with this uh praise dance ministry and then I thought, oh, my body feels good, and I really want to now dig in and take a class or two, not for anything uh, you know, professionally, but just for myself to remember that love. Uh, and I you know, was at Columbia, and I, I just couldn't pay that tuition <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. to um, continue to take a dance class when I knew like steps was, you know, down the, down the street, basically down Broadway. Mm-hmm. I went to take class. It was like the 1030 time, like when David Howard was teaching, right. He had a sub that day and I was like, that's the time you go and take ballet. That's what I'm used to. I went into the class. Of course, there are a lot of professional dancers there. I was definitely in my college body, like living my best life, not trying to be a <laughs> professional dancer um and I had a fine class you know it's just like finding your legs again and what have you uh and the teacher who I had known from my dance career um she saw me and she said oh Alicia I I didn't know you were dancing again and I said oh yeah no I'm not I'm not dancing but I just wanted to come take class she said well you haven't lost everything and I was so hurt and embarrassed that I would come into this room simply for the love of dancing and then was judged for it, right? Um, And so I said, never again. I'm not coming in at 1030 with all the professionals. What time? Uh, Let's see. I get out of class at, okay, I can take class. I can take dance class at three. So I looked on the board at steps and it said modern and the teacher was Myers. I had no idea who this person was, but I figured there were no professional dancers there at that time. So I went to take modern and it was Milton Myers, who is the resident uh, teacher for the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. And uh, this is how my relationship with Alvin Ailey began. I came in and took class regularly, like either once or twice a week for a couple weeks. And then finally Milton Myers was like, can I talk to you? He said, have you ever considered, you know, a career as a dancer? And I was like, (laughs) been there, done that, got burned by it, not trying to do that. Um, And he said, I "I really think that you should meet Judith Jameson. And it's like, there are these moments. And I feel like this happened, this has happened to me through my whole life, where there is like a little angel on my shoulder that puts the these amazing people in my path to guide the next step, right? So I was like, I want to meet Judith Jameson. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about like dancing professionally, but I was like, I'm going to take a class or something. I want to meet her. 
Um, so the company was performing in uh, DC at the Kennedy Center. And again, I'm from Maryland. So I was on spring break. I went to take a company class. I met Judith Jamison and Masazumi Chaya. And that's how our relationship started. I ended up going back to, you know, Dance State of Harlem, but I had, you know, started to cultivate that relationship. And I'd actually auditioned for the company um, soon thereafter, but they weren't accepting any uh, female dancers at the time. So I was just uh, like, this is amazing. It's so nice to meet you. <laughs> and then, um, wow. yeah, and then I went back to Dance State of Harlem. Wow. So, yeah, and the, the point shoe thing and, like, all of that, it just happened really <laughs> fast. Yeah. I don't know. It yeah. kind of happened organically. And through my time with Complexions, definitely. I had a summer with them, and I thought I would have a small role. I actually called them because I had taken a job with J.P. Morgan in the marketing department, and I called Desmond and Dwight and said, do you all need, like, a intern? I, I don't have any work for the summer. So, like, I would love to, you know, help you with any marketing or anything that you need. And they said, well, we hear that you've been at Steps. Like, what? Who's talking? <laughs> We've heard that you've been at Steps and you look amazing. And we have an injury and we need someone to fill, fill this role. Um, it's a smaller part. You won't have to dance on point, And we're touring Italy for the summer. And I was like, oh, okay, that. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Casual tour to Italy, why not? <laughs> why not? And, you know, when you're in it, you're just in the, the daily motion, taking class every day, being around incredible uh, performers, incredible dancers. When I was there, Desmond was still fully, you know, performing and dancing and just watching him. Um, and, like, um, Sandy Brown from ABT was in the company at that time. And there were all these professionals who kind of, where like um, it was more of like an all-star pickup company when I was uh, dancing with Complexion, so I was just so inspired. And you know, uh, the summer in Italy, all the performances, most of them were outside, so like the heat and the humidity gets in your bones, and I was like, ooh, this is feeling good, like my extension is okay, and I'm feeling strength, and yeah, it just came back very organically. I feel like when your body is ready, because it's funny because I had the same thing. Like for so many years, I fought it, fought it, fought it, stepped away. And when I was ready to come back, my body was like, yep, we got this. We're ready to go. And it's yep. amazing how that happens. Amazing. And when you come back because you have a different mindset about things, mm -hmm. you actually like for me, I came back appreciating just like class and the basic fundamental technique structure mm. that I never used to. And so you actually come back I did, I felt built with a stronger foundation to work with or to work on. Yeah. Um, so, and also was, the knowledge beneficial. that how much you want it, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we come into the career because that's the next step because we've trained so hard and cause this is what you've prepared to do. And that's what the, the, that's how like the road unfolds and it's a hard career, you know, it's very fulfilling, but it is difficult and there's a lot of sacrifices um, but I think taking a step away allows us to see how much we're called to do what we do. Yeah. So then talking about taking a step away from the careers and stuff and being able to look at a different light, can we just hear what are some of the biggest either career highlight or most, or most like memorable moment from your career? It could be like a conversation you had off stage that just meant a lot or a moment on stage, like what are like now looking at from this side of the career, when you look back, like what stays with you? Like I have two things that kind of really stay with me still mm. from what I was said, what has been said to me before. Right. And it's like, I have one career highlight dance wise, but one career highlight just of like a sentence that meant a lot. Ah, uh, okay. I have two like very positive moving moments and I know we're going to talk about my podcast yes. in a little bit but this was some of yep. the inspiration behind the podcast in itself yep. two very um seminal moving moments the first was when I was with Dance State of Harlem uh we the, the first tour that we went on was a summer European tour we were performing in Greece in the uh, Acropolis and I remember we were in the Herodicus, Herodicus Atticus Theater. I don't know if that's 
the correct name? I believe so. Set up like a, basically almost like a coliseum. Um, so it's outside and it's just beautiful and it's at the, the top of the uh, Acropolis. Uh, and we had our performance at night and you know, the beginning of Serenade, everybody knows that this, you know, a gesture, your, your right arm is up, you're looking towards your hand. And when we set up, I looked up and there's the, um, the Parthenon and it was lit like in blue that night and a full moon. And I could feel like the wind moving and my blue skirt was moving and then that music. And I was just like, I have literally died and gone to heaven. This is exactly what I wanted for my life. You know, those moments where you're like, I did it. I'm here. I'm here. Those moments where you realize I'm here. Um, I will never forget that feeling. Like I was almost in tears just waiting to break my wrist (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and continue to move on through the choreography. Um, And another time I was then dancing with Alvin Ailey and I had, uh, I had three years with Ailey. I had to take some time away because of another injury and dealing with my disease. And then I came back um, for another three years and I was asked to, um, to dance. It's a, a work called Grace. It's by uh, Ron Brown. And now you know a little bit about me, uh, this idea of feeling called to be a dancer, um, to say thank you for the gift of being able to communicate with my body and touch people's lives somehow, even if it's only for you know the two hours that they're in a show or watching the, the performance. And so I was playing the role of this like goddess mother. And I had seen this ballet or this, this work many times, um, even before I was an Ailey dancer. And it just spoke to me. And then I got to do the, the lead role. And I remember this, the last section, um, eventually everybody ends up in all white costumes. The stage is lit like very bright. And it's sort of like a... Um, a revelatory moment, this like uh, um, ecstasy. It feels like ecstasy, like you, like the heavens have opened and now like God can enter into the space. And I remember just like walking forward and looking into the audience and having another one of those feelings like you've fought so hard and this is exactly, like do not forget this moment for anything. Because when things are hard, they're hard. But when they're good, you are literally in heaven. You know, like the spirit has left the body. You know, all the thoughts that you have as a dancer, the counts and the the steps and all the things, that was totally gone. But I had the, uh, the, um, the present of mind to say, don't forget this. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what you fought for. Um, And I remember uh, Ron Brown coming backstage afterwards and him saying, like, what's happened? You're, like, completely different. And I just said, you know, Ron, there's so many times that I walked out on stage and I was so conscious of myself that I was not afraid, but I didn't take the risks. You know, when you calculate, like, how much, how wild, how many turns, how many, and you you decide not to go there because it might be too far. I said, I've decided I don't want to be afraid anymore. I'm just going to go out there and do it. And he said, did you know that if there is no fear, there's only love? And I was like, oh, oh that's first good. Of all, thank you so much for this opportunity. Like, you know, just dying. But... Yeah, there there are moments like that that mm. I will never forget. Wow. I mean, those things like are so applicable to everything in life. So like I think that's why those type of things stick with you so long. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like think about the no fear, only love thing, like stepping away from dance, going into a new direction, trying a new career choice, finding a new thing that you think – nothing can replace your love for dance, but this also is just like, that's, you know, no fear to jump into those types of things. Yep. 
Yep. So speaking of moving moments, let's talk about your new podcast. Because we like podcasts around here. Yeah, we like podcasts. We, we do. Love podcasts. We are a podcast for podcasts. We, are pod- we talk about them all the time. T- yeah. 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 So tell us your new venture. Yes. Yeah, so um, again, this is one of those things that looking forward, I never would have imagined for myself. But now looking backwards, it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up uh, appearing on a podcast or speaking on a podcast called Speaking Soundly. It's a fairly new podcast. It's right now in its second season, and it's all about um, musicians and um, how they come to create and work in the way that they do. What what is their creative process? Kind of giving, you know, backstage um, insights and tips on how they do what they do, and somehow. Uh, David found his way to me um, as a a musical artist uh, by being a dancer. And we had such a great um, conversation. And later he said to me uh, and the the producer, it's a a media company called Artful Narratives Media, said, have you ever thought about having a podcast? And I said, well, no, but on in my day-to-day journey, and also definitely here at Juilliard, I am surrounded by some of the most incredible artists of our time. Some of them are friends. Some of them are uh, more of acquaintances or work colleagues. But I'm constantly surrounded with people who are so inspiring, who live a very purposeful and intentional life in their art, who impact people daily just by stepping into the room and you know, choreographing something or uh, teaching something or dancing. And I was trying to capture for the world what that feels like to be around people who are game changers every day. So I wanted to bring their stories to the world. And we've just now launched the first season. Uh, I have, uh, in the first season, Chloe Arnold, top dancer, director, choreographer, Misty Copeland. She doesn't need a description. Everybody <laughs> yeah. knows um, Misty, who I came up, you know, in the in the game with James Whiteside and uh, Carmen DeLavalade, who is my mentor, idol, everything. I call her my blueprint because I try to model myself around her. Michael Novak, the artistic director of Paul Taylor Dance Company. Bobby Jean Smith, a choreographer who is a Juilliard alum, Sarah Mearns, uh, Wendy Whalen. Um, it's just an incredible group of artists who have really been groundbreaking innovators in our field. And it's been so fulfilling for me just to have the time with them to sit down and hear more about their stories because even if we've worked together, sometimes I don't know, you know, all the, the background and the parts of their stories that made them who they are. And uh, actually, I've already almost completely uh, recorded a season two, um, but I won't divulge the guests on that one. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And I think it's it's important, like we were talking about earlier, for the younger generation to know these stories, to know these people, Mm. because it's changing. Dance is changing. Art is changing. Um, and these are the people who are doing it, who are mm-hmm. leading the way. And I think yeah. it's, again, that new generation coming up. Because our generation, we knew, at least for me, the Brizhnikovs, the Julie Kents, you know, all these people mm-hmm. who really all you knew about them at the time was in dance magazine. Like there was no podcast. There were no YouTube. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. nothing. I remember like pouring over my dance magazine every month. But then to like hear their stories even further – I don't know. That would have been amazing. It's true. Uh, Also, Kyle Abraham is in our first season and, you know, someone who is really um, changing the game as a choreographer who is being asked to, uh, of course, he he works with his own company, um, but then is creating works on New York City Ballet and the Royal Ballet and really just um, shifting the narrative of, of who are who is in these spaces and and how they are creating and to hear 
in his own words, why he went, you know, why he chooses the music that he does or, you know, what inspires his um, movement or what inspires his life uh, is really important. And actually, you landed on something that I always say uh, to my husband because he's a huge um, sports fan. He was a professional football player. And all day long, he's listening to like sports radio if we're in the car and he watches ESPN in the morning. And then like before he goes to bed, he's either watching a game or like checking the stats on whatever is happening. And, you know, he'll make fun of me because he's like, oh, there you are on the gram again. And I say, Kirby, this is the only way that I can get the day-to-day information on what's happening in my field. I go directly to the companies, the stories that they're telling about the dancers that they've just promoted or the choreographers that are in the space, in the studio, and I want to get a little look at like how things are shaping up. Or Our whole uh, uh, dance world, you have to kind of like cobble it together to get a sense of what's happening as a whole. But I think social media has been wonderful for our field because it allows us to be able to tell our stories in real time. And um, as amazing as Dance Magazine is, you know, it was limited uh, because we had to wait once a month to read the, you know, the articles that were that were in the magazine. So um, I think that it's done wonders for our field uh, to open up, uh, open up the doors, if you will, and be able to to share all the incredible things that are happening. I also think, too, especially with like a podcast, you get to hear in their own words, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes yeah. with media, if it's an article, things can be kind of mm-hmm. tweaked or whatever, like with a podcast, with social, with that, with all of these different mediums. Now you hear directly from people in their own words. That's right. And I think that's important. It just makes it more relatable, which mm-hmm. is really the biggest thing. Like people... Uh, attach and and become attached to things that they can relate to Mm -hmm. and that are like themselves and so yeah with social media it's like you open the door so it's not just um which is what like donors and audience members say that can wrap functions like it's so nice to see you guys backstage and like rehearsals because all we see and all we know is this perfection on stage what you produce but not like the person that goes behind it like Mm -hmm. For example, if someone watches my rehearsals, like me and Katie are rehearsing, they're going to hear me curse, <laughs> talk to her, struggle, say, oh, we got to do that one again, all the way back to the beginning. Oh, let's just read this section. No, I want to do the whole thing. Whole yeah. thing from the beginning, whole thing or nothing. Like you'll see that situation compared to just the version of me and Katie walking out looking pretty. Yeah. Per- a, perfect. Like, yeah. I don't know about perfect. I don't think we've ever been perfect together. <laughs> we've always had to have a plan b moment at least once at least once (laughs) well that's the part of live performance that makes it exciting right you never know what you're gonna get but yeah i do i do agree that it's a wonderful way to hear um the artists in their own words um to learn from the artist in their own words and that's also kind of scary right before uh our uh, right before the podcast uh aired I was so excited. And then I had this moment of like, oh, people are going to actually hear me, like hear me laughing at certain things or they're just going to get a sense of, of me. And what if it's not mm-hmm. likable, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah there, there, there was a whole like interesting mind trip right before we launched. But um, we are now doing... Uh, you know, doing well, and we're uh, launching a new episode every Wednesday, and the podcast uh, is on all the platforms, all the ones you can think of, um, but uh, Apple and Spotify and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, so go listen to it after you listen, finish this episode, y'all. Go, there you go. go listen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the other thing, but- that, go ahead, Sean. Oh, no, I was just going to start doing speed rounds of questions because I'm so intrigued. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, let's do wait. it. I, I was we'll going to say like this a speed is... round of questions. <laughs> okay. This, was, this is another example of artists supporting other artists, and I really appreciate you all um, having me on the show today because it is nice to feel supported by, you know, your fellow uh, dancer 
uh, artist community out there. So thanks so much. Of course. Well, I feel like that's such yeah. a ballet thing too. Like it's often not like that because everybody thinks there's only one whatever. It's like, why not support each other? Let's help each other out. We're, we don't have ESPN. Like there's <laughs> no right. ESPN for ballet, which maybe is something we work on. But right. you know what I mean? Like it's and it's no like, professional football paychecks. No, so it's like, <laughs> no. We got to no, help each true. other out when we can. Yeah, I am killing my body probably equally to most of them. Yeah, but yet. <laughs> um. All right, Sean, do the do the rapid fire. Okay. Well, okay. first I'll start with the fun story about how this started. So just so everyone gets very clear, we got Katie text me after she you email her. Yeah. And uh-huh. she's like, hey, guess what? email i just randomly got i was like wait what like i thought we were in trouble per usual <laughs> like no like, the dean of juilliard dance wants to come on our podcast and i was like wait what like <laughs> we're not legitimate enough <laughs> how yes! how we are a show like we are a mess and then i was like my next reply goes oh do i need to like watch are we legit enough? Like I was completely thrown for a loop because to me, we have this podcast for no real reason other than randomly it started like how you, how yours fell into your lap. You're like, mm-hmm. I never thought this was going to be my thing. Ours was we're doing guestings. And so we started vlogging our guestings together mm-hmm. and In the people room. just enjoyed our banter, our wow. chats, the dressing room mirror. Mm-hmm. And it was like podcast, podcast, podcast. And it scares me to have one because one, it's like, very exposing and opening because mm-hmm. ours is just us talking of our daily lives and i'm like Ooh, i like a little more i don't know like facade i can put mm-hmm. out so it's mm-hmm. very so i understand that like fear thing but yeah your email uh, i we got I very excited everyone, <laughs> i was just like wait i was like katie have we made it <laughs> Have we You've made, made it, it with no sponsor? You've no, made it. We have not made it until we have HelloFresh as a sponsor. Until I have HelloFresh as a sponsor, okay. we have not made it. You have so to put it out there. Anyone want to the get universe. on that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I've already recited a HelloFresh commercial on one of our episodes because I was like, I'm prepared. I'm ready. I just need the HelloFresh paycheck. <laughs> okay. Here are some rapid fire questions to throw at you. Okay. We'll We'll, we'll start very basic and then we'll go around. I just so, got butterflies. I'm nervous. Okay. I'm it's, not, it's, it's not that bad. <laughs> Question one. Favorite performance of your life? To dance or to watch? We'll do both. Oh. Your favorite you've ever danced and your favorite you've ever watched. Oh, wow. Okay. So favorite I've ever danced might be uh, Alvin Ailey's Memoria. It was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. It's a, it's a long work. You're basically dancing full out for like, 30 minutes and the last 10 minutes of it is like a party. So, uh, and it is very, um, autobiographical in that it's about the life of someone that he was very close with, um, Joyce Trisler. Yeah. It felt, felt very special for me to, to be able to, uh, perform that work. So that was probably my favorite, my favorite work to watch. I I don't think I can name one because I can think of Everything from like award shows when I was little, seeing Michael Jackson perform to like fair game. watching, fair game. yeah, to watching um, a Forsyth piece today. This is the amazing thing about being at Juilliard. Today he came in and spoke, uh, actually via Zoom, but he was in the room. Uh, spoke about a, a, a curated work that he created for a gallery called Choreographic Objects, and just to hear him speak about his choreographic mind and his process, creative process. Again, these are the things that I wanted to bring to the world through moving moments. Um, but I'm just so inspired by so, so many things. So I, I don't think I can name one piece. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> uh, when I was little, I had uh, the documentary of Sylvie Guillaume um, on a VHS tape because I had recorded it off of like PBS or whatever channel it had played on. And I watched that documentary until it warped. So there's that too. And then Disney or Nickelodeon childhood, which one were you? Oh, Nickelodeon for sure. Ooh. Okay. So then back then favorite Nickelodeon TV series. Hmm. What was this show? I felt like they were, they were kind of like a kids incorporated, but wasn't kids incorporated. Y'all don't even know what, do y'all know what that show Oh, was? no, I know Kids Incorporated. Okay, I was like, me, and my sister, 
Me and like when they got slimed and, and stuff. But I was more of a... Oh, Wild and Crazy Kids. Is that what it was? Well, yeah, that's like the slimy that. and the competitions. They would have yeah. team okay. with like the the t the colored t shirts. You know what yeah. I'm talking about? And they would just be like, but Kids Incorporated was like a pop band TV series. Mm, I think it was like shows before that. But I do remember not Nickelodeon or uh, Disney. But I would watch like Saturday morning cartoons. I was really into like um, Transformers and Thundercats, and you know all of those um, gem was out when I was a kid. So I, that's what I grew up on, those those sorts of uh, cartoons. Okay, and then uh, your go-to guilty pleasure food? Chocolate chip cookies and sparkling rosé. I will tell you that. I, I have <laughs> every night I have a chocolate chip cookie. There is no way that I can end my day without one. Okay, and then now what is your – Guilty Pleasure TV series at the moment. Mm, we just started Poker Face, which has um, been very interesting, very good show. Uh, we watched um, The Best Man. It's the a series based on the two Best Man movies, and it brought back all the good feels from um, like watching this movie in the, I guess, early 2000s when it came out. Uh, and remembering the characters and seeing how they aged and what has happened since then. Um, that was a really great um, TV series to watch. We're watching The Godfather of Harlem now. And then other one would be, what is the one thing that your kids do that you know you're supposed to get them in trouble for, but they're just too cute and you can't say no to it? Like so much. It's like everything. It's terrible. I have to remember, like, <laughs> you have to be a mom right now. Um <laughs> My kids love to move. They love to dance, which is great. So we are constantly in motion. But like my my daughter, Layla, she will like get in the mirror and like move her hips and like <laughs> do all the things. And I, I remember if I tried to dance like that when I was younger, my mom would just like pop me in the back like, Ow, you should not be moving like that. And I'm like, go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like my so. seven-year-old niece last year. Now she's just turned eight, but. Could not take her eyes off the Cardi B Grammy performance. Oh. And she was like living her best life. And we're like, well, <laughs> you're sad. what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then a little more heart. Uh, who is your dream, either like guest speaker or guest faculty member to come to Juilliard? Mm. So we can throw it out in the universe. Right. That's why. There are many, but uh, I would love for uh, Judith Jameson to come and work with the dancers. I don't think that's so far out of reach. She's come to uh, many of the performances, but there's just something about her, her spirit, the way that she thinks about dance, the way she encourages dancers, the way she challenges dancers to make them better. She is that type of person that you will come out better when you're in the room with her. It might be difficult, but uh, you will come out uh, you know, inspired and, and, a, and a, a, a more full dancer uh, from being in the space with her. Also, dancers listening, if you don't know who Judith Jameson is or you don't know who Sylvie Guillaume is because you'd be surprised how many people don't know who those people are, please Google them. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Google is awesome. <laughs> The last question that will be our segue into any other extra stories. Mm -hmm. Name the one stager that you had the best experience with mm. in the studio. And what like what kind of adds to the, why that experience was so great? Great question. I don't even think I could answer this question quick fire. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's it. But I think it's a good one. It's a great yeah, one. And I'm very I, I'm very intrigued to hear. Because yeah. you've ranged all over the gamut, like you've da 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 da. So I'm like, <laughs> which one? I, and I, we love stories here, and we love. So I just want to know who your favorite was. Uh you know, uh, I I could name so many people. I could name people from like um, the Balanchine Trust, from you know working in that world, and then uh, from the Ailey world. But um, I'm gonna throw out there. I've really enjoyed most people that I've you know worked with. Um, there is a woman named Nina Flagg, 
Um, she is based in LA. She's um, trained as a concert dancer, ballet, contemporary, modern, all the things. But um, she often stages and assists Rennie Harris, who uh, you know really works in the uh, hip hop and house dance uh, world and is an incredible choreographer. He has his own company. That's another name. If you don't know Rennie Harris that you should Google, um, uh, uh, an incredible company. And then also creates works for many, uh, concert dance companies. Um, he was working on a piece called home, um, at Ailey and, you know, coming from a classical ballet background, first of all, I was like, am I going to get cast in this work? right? Am I going to get cast in this hip hop? Like put your sneakers on and let's work on like learning how to do the jack, right? And I'm from Maryland. And so I grew up going to the club and going to basement parties and stuff like that. So, you know, this type of social dance movement is very natural uh, for me, but I definitely was not trained in hip hop, which some of the dancers at Ailey when I was there had actual training in hip hop. That didn't exist when I was little. <laughs> Hip hop training didn't exist because like we were doing the Roger Rabbit in real time and not like learning how to do it in the studio. But anyway, um, Nina Flag, she just broke it down. She really had the ability to, again, bring a dancer from point A to point B to give them enough information that would uh, help them to find the intention of the movement, the musicality. Yes, it was challenging, but she she's always um, puts as much effort into it as she asked for the dancers to. So that was someone that I, you know, always think about how incredible she was in the studio um, uh, working with Rennie Harris. That sounds like uh, my experience with Shelly Washington. Oh yes, I've worked with Shelly before. <laughs> It's very similar. I was like, okay, she demands, she was like, but she was so clear, concise, point, mm-hmm. like got everyone from point A to B. And I worked with her for Water Babies, mm-hmm. um, Star Ballet, and then also Upper Room as one of the stompers oh, yeah. with like way too many steps in that stomper section for those yep. counts. And yet she was like, driving it through, driving it through. But it was always very clear. And she is like, this is the standard that you have to be at or you're not approved. <laughs> And she made sure we all got to this standard. It was, yeah. So it's very similar. And, and those moments to me, it's like now when I, I've staged a couple of ballets, I want to be like that type of stager. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's been so many um, artists that have uh, just informed, informed me <laughs> uh, and have uh, been a nice guide to kind of how I would want to be in a room with people. Um, I've, I've worked with Justin Peck on a couple of um, recent projects and uh, obviously now we're, we're uh, learning increases, our students are. He's another person that I see in the studio and I'm like, you are a genius. There is no other word for it than a genius. He has no ego, works so hard, is all about the dancers in the room, the things that they bring to the table is one of the most intelligent and, you know, astute thinkers, uh, just a genius. They're, they're, they're people like that, that are just, they're made to do what they do. Yeah. Cause I remember being, I was at SAB. I was at my first summer course at SAB. Justin was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was right before we got his apprenticeship. So Katie, you would have already been, he was my partner in workshop. So in a comp, yeah. yeah oh. In a company that, that yeah. year. So yeah, you see some, I've danced his ballets now. I did increases here at ballet met. Mm. And he's someone I haven't worked with personally because we had one of his stagers, but I Mm -hmm. hope to at some point. Well, you are such a delight and I'm so happy for all your success. And I guess my last question to you would be through Juilliard, through your podcast, through you as an individual, how do you wish, like, what are some things in the dance world that you're trying to change that we need to change? Like Sean and I talk about this all the time, like the old guard versus the new guard. Like what Mm -hmm. are, what in your head would be the ideal change for the dance world moving forward? Hmm. You know, part of my charge, I think as just a human (laughs) is to see more diversity and inclusion in our field. And that is something that I'm trying to uh, to model here at Juilliard. Uh, our student body 
is beautifully diverse, not only in um, their, uh, you know, race, but thinking about gender identity and their strengths of um, styles and uh, the things that they want to do upon graduation, that um, when you see them on stage, they're so much richer as a, a, a community of dancers because of their diversity, right? That no one dancer is the same. And that brings an incredible experience, not only to the, to the dancers, because they're working in the room day to day, but to the audience, right? So that you can look and see what the possibilities are. So I hope that our field moves more towards this ideal uh, and that um, people who are, are different in some ways, who have not traditionally been the ones um, selected or chosen, uh, will um, no longer be sort of tokenized, right? That we see beautifully integrated companies with dancers who are with lots of different body types and we don't look to those dancers to say how they're different. We just see all the all the dancers for, for who they are and the gifts that they bring. Yeah. So it's not a thing anymore. It's just That's right. Yeah. 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 We're all over things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There shouldn't be not there shouldn't be things. It should just be this is it. This is This is it. Let's yeah. just do the dancing. Let's just do the thing. Last year, Ballet West did a joint gala with Dance Theater of Harlem. Oh, yeah. And during intermission, I was in the restroom and I overheard people going, oh, it's so nice to see something different. It's so nice to see the diversity. It's so like that was just that's all they could talk about was how amazing mm -hmm. DTH was. And I was just like, there you go. There you go. Because Salt Lake, they're not yeah. going to they're not going to see that all the time. So it's it was no. it was amazing. It was I was just like, see, the audience wants that. Yeah. But that comes from like leaderships now like you that have yes. this ideal and want to pursue it and know that it's possible. Mm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's absolutely possible. Well, thanks for joining us, Alicia. Thanks. This yeah, has been, been very fun. She, you're so elegant and just articulate. You're way too legit for us. <laughs> yeah, we go I back just to feel that. so messy and so... <laughs> Not up to par for this. <laughs> Love it. That's amazing. Well, and like we said, you guys go check out Alicia's podcast, Moving Moments, and uh, it sounds incredible. So thanks again for Thank joining you. us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Please come back. Yes. Please come back. Please come back. Anytime. Anytime. Cool. cool. Bye, guys. Thanks, everybody.